Let's get into the word. We're working our way through the book of 1 Timothy. We are at the start of chapter 5 and we're looking at the first 16 verses. The theme of this morning is the concern. There is a truth that runs all the way through scripture. And it's highlighted here in the passage that we're going to be looking at when Paul writes to Timothy. And it's a simple thought but it's a true thought. And it's this. People matter to God. And so they should matter to us. That's really a simple thought that runs through what Paul says this morning, uh, but also why churches exist. That our worship cannot just simply be about what goes this way. Actually, God expects us to respond this way as well. And through what we look at this morning, we'll see that actually God challenges us. He, he commands us uh, to look after those who are poor and needy because people matter. And even if people feel like they don't matter, church should be the one place where people do matter. And uh, one of the things I've said about our church for a long time, you've got all these people that come from all these different backgrounds, all these different ages, all these different places, all these different experiences, and we gather together as church. And let me tell you something, I know some of you, I know all of you actually, only God could do this. Only God could bring us all together like this because church is a family, church is a body and as we know with a family, there's always a few odd ones in it, aren't there? <laughs> yes, I, yes, you're thinking of somebody now and as I would say, if you're not thinking of somebody, everybody's thinking of you and, uh, and that's what happens in a family, the body together that we don't get to pick and choose just to be with the people that we want to be with. Actually, this is church. And looking at this morning at you Motley crew, this is a great example of what we're trying to say of all these people gathered together. Our difference between so many of us as we gather together, but we have one thing in common, the most important thing in common, and it's the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we've just done. And so one of the areas that Paul addresses in this letter is Timothy's relationship and the church's relationship with each other. And in this chapter we see some of the groups of the people that are addressed there because Paul has already spoken to Timothy about, listen, this is how you deal with the false teachers, this is what you do with the men, this is what you do with the ladies. In this chapter now, uh, and chapter 6, we're looking at the, the, this is what you do with the men, the women, the leaders, the young people, the older people, the widows, the leaders, and even the slaves. And we see this in this uh, just next chapter, just of this is how you work with people because you can't do church on your own. We're not designed to do it on our own. We're designed for company. We're designed for relationship. We're designed for fellowship. One thing that the last two years has taught us is this. You see, you can get preaching online. You can sit in front of a television and watch a sermon and try to get blessed by that sermon by watching it. You know, if you're not blessed, you can turn the sound down. You can't turn the sound down here this morning, unfortunately. Well, actually, Reese can turn the sound down on the sound. Like, so, uh, you could do that. But there is something that's missing. And there's something that has been missing, and it's this fellowship. It's this relationship with each other. We actually enjoy being around each other because we care about one another. Each of us matter to each other. You know, even at times when we get irritated by people, there is something about all of us as in the mix together, uh, worshipping Jesus Christ, uh, making an effort to do something for him. 
And you see, church is made up of that. Unlike church is good and, and church on your own is, you know, I have people have their arguments, but nothing beats this. The fellowship of knowing that people love you, that you can be encouraged and cared for. That's what church is supposed to be. But, since that brings its issues, doesn't it? That brings its difficulties at times. And Paul writes to Timothy these verses here in 5, 1 to 16. And he says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, when you read those 16 verses, you're wondering, well, I'm not going to speak for uh, the next wee while on, on widows and that. But the, the truth of it is, in the passage that Paul writes here to Timothy, there are principles that we bring out of how we look after one another and treat one another. You see, this is true that God at work in the church is always evidence of a healthy Christian community that knows how to treat each other. That's God at work in the community. Uh, sorry, in the Christian community, the church. It doesn't matter how high we stretch to worship. It doesn't matter how long we worship. It doesn't matter how long we pray for. If we don't love each other, it says there's no evidence that God is at work in our Christian community, in our church. That is evidence of God being at work in how we treat each other. So Timothy is instructed here in, in, in how to treat some people and how to behave towards others. There are principles that are set aside in this passage that Paul writes about that helps us as a church in 2022 in, in, in this most important question of how do we deal with the poor and needy? What is our responsibility as a church uh, to look after those people who find themselves in difficult situations or find themselves without the money or the finance? How much do we help them as a church? 
Now some people will say, oh, we just do everything, that's the witness, that's uh, the evangelist. But, but is that really correct? Is that really what Paul is saying to Timothy here to try and help? He immediately starts with just another thought when he talks about simply that he directs Timothy rather than commands him uh, not to rebuke any older man. Timothy uh, was the pastor of not probably just one church here in Ephesus but a group of churches. Uh, And Paul is saying to him, he's encouraging him and directing him, he says don't rebuke an older man. He says but what does he mean that? There, he says, is he, what's he saying about that? You see, the ancient word for rebuke is not the normal word, it's this one, and we would know this, it's when we strike out with our words. It's the only place that it's mentioned in the New Testament, this meaning of the word, and we'll know what that means. Because all of us at some point, me included several times, will have struck out with our words. Somebody frustrates you that they're, when they're doing something or somebody just irritates you. And what you do is you strike out with your words, whether it be by sarcasm or, or, or whether it's a put down. Or whether you say, and this is my old favourite, when you're really cruel and cut into somebody, then you say, only joking. You know, but you're not really, you've just said it. You've added the only joking on to the end just to make sure they get it, but you're trying to be funny about it. You know, you say this. And Paul commands Timothy, he says, he says, don't do this. He says, have your respect. He said, simply this, he says, don't attack the older men with words. The younger man that is looking after these churches is he's getting some direction from Paul. Paul has given him the challenge of what he needs to do, which is confront the false teachers. But he's giving him a way to do it as well. He's telling him, listen, don't attack older men with your words, but to treat them with respect. Uh, and just like you would treat the younger men with respect as brothers. Timothy had this tremendous responsibility to shepherd all of them, whether they be old or whether they be young. You see, actually, the word rebuke, and we don't often use it very much anymore, purely for the reason if you said to somebody, I'm going to rebuke you, then people obviously get a bit offended at that. But the actual meaning of the word actually just means to point in the right direction. To point in the right direction. You know, as pastors and as leaders and anybody who leads anything in church, you know, yes, we have a responsibility to share with people the truth of Jesus Christ. But sometimes you have to help people by pointing them in the right direction. Not because you're better than anybody. Not because, uh, in a sense, oh, we've got it all together and so, therefore, you must. And people get offended by that word, which we simply say, well, that's rebuke. But actually, the heart behind rebuke, the thought behind the word rebuke, is this is just simply to point people in the right direction. This was much more about the way that something was said rather than what was said. Because often that's the issue, isn't it? Not what was said, but the way that it's been said. And to rebuke is really an important duty of somebody who is a leader. It's a simple, clear presentation that somebody maybe is going the wrong way in their conduct, in their behaviour, and you're just simply pointing it out. Remember last week when I spoke about Timothy as the example? The first thing he had to do was make sure he was pointing the finger at himself first. Make sure he was getting his life right. But you see, often at times when we read the chapters and verses that have been added from the original scripture, we have to remember this is all one letter. 
This is all one letter that Paul flows into Timothy. So after he's almost said about being an example to everybody else, this bit flows in, which says, do not rebuke, be careful with your harsh words. But, but listen, it's important to do this, because elsewhere in Timothy, he does tell him to make sure you are rebuking, that you are pointing people in the right direction. You don't want people to damage their lives. If you look at somebody and you think to yourself, they're going the wrong way or they're going to cause damage to themselves or, or others, then you, you want to help them by directing them, pointing it out, showing care and love. We wouldn't simply give a toddler a box of matches or a lighter and simply say, there you go, figure out that, you know, you find out what that does. We would never do that. But often at times at church we do that because we don't want to offend people. Because they're like, oh well, what happens if I feel gotten? It's not about being gotten. It's simply about helping people, pointing them in the right direction. You see, so Timothy's challenge was don't rebuke in a harsh manner. You see, the problem is that many people amass all their defensive ability at a rebuke. If not at the time, then later. Because often it's our pride that speaks to us. How dare he say that to me? Who does he think he is pointing that out to me? Have you seen him? Have you seen what he does? How many times do we say that? And we miss what God is trying to say to us by the thing of paying attention. You see, no one likes to rebuke. I know I don't like it if somebody comes and says, I want to point something out to you, Matt. I don't sit there. Please do, brother, sister. Please tell me what's wrong. You know, I, I'm listening. I won't be offended. Well, really, you yeah, are, because you, your first thing you think, how dare you? Who, who do you think you are? Do you do what I do? And you have all these thoughts, and then why it's our pride? But actually, all it is at times is people pointing out something to, uh, to help us in the right way, to point attention to something. To this. I remember uh, years ago when I was doing the youth, in 2004, we did a youth event in Dundonald, with all the different churches, and it was a complete disaster. I'll tell you now, from the front, I admit, it was a complete... We'd invited somebody over from England, and they'd come and preach, and the whole thing was a nightmare, and I was responsible for it, and I looked around for somebody to blame, and there was nobody there. But easier today, I could have blamed Reese or Rebecca, but I couldn't do that then. I couldn't do that. And I remember the speaker, who I know, and it was just a day, he said to me after we were staying at a hotel in Belfast, before he we went down to Dublin, he said, drop the young people home back in Belfast, and why don't you come and have some supper with me in the hotel? And I thought, I really didn't want to do that, but I thought I should do it. It was a disaster already. And I thought to myself, if I say no, and he came to me, and this guy got stuck into me. But I remember his lessons. He wasn't telling me because he wanted to point out all the things that was wrong with me. He was giving me a rebuke. He said three things, but I'm not going to tell you what they are because they're personal, that I needed to do. And from that point, I did them, and I still do them today. And so, had my pride got in the way by saying, who do you think you are? How dare you speak to me like that? Do you not know who I am? I've done all of that, but I didn't. I just took it and I thought, actually, you know what? And we do this, don't we? He's right. Mm. And we know that, you know, that bit in there that says, you're never going to admit it, but you know, he's right. And he was. That's the idea of a rebuke. Just pointing somebody in the right direction. And I'm glad he did that then, for the direction that it has given me now. And so Paul moves on and he says, this is what you do. Young men, treat them as brothers. 
He says, consider them as family. He says, not an employee or a slave. Paul called all church members brothers. He called all uh, women in Christ, he called them sisters. And he goes further here. He says to the older women, he simply said, treat them as your mother. And to the younger women, as sisters. And he's simply saying this, that make sure all your social and physical relationships with each other are simply just pure and wholesome. You know, because that can get in the way, in the sense of the way you do your relationship with other people. And Paul's writing that here, 2,000 years ago nearly. And it still would be an issue today, wouldn't it? Where we see sometimes the issues that come up in church because of inappropriate relationships. And yeah, actually, Paul's quite, he's quite straight here. He says, all the, yeah, all, the, all the older men in church, he says, call them dad. I mean, that's really what he says. Treat them as fathers. So if you're standing at the door and I call you dad, and you are younger than me, I apologise. <laughs> but if you're older than me, take it on the chin, because you are. He says, treat all older women, mum, as your mothers. He says, as, 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 as the ladies, the sisters in Christ. He says, he gives a challenge here, and he says, this is what you do when you're dealing with people. Actually, it makes sense. You see, the other thing that churches have to do, they have to get that right relationship between young and old. And, and I've said this before quite a few times. I say, you know what the best thing about our churches? It's a mixture of all the ages and everybody coming together and all of that together. Do you know what the hardest thing about our church is? A mixture of all the ages and all the people coming together. But it's so easy sometimes if we just had a young people's church and we get the lights and the smoke machine going and <laughs> bouncing up and down. Or we could just do an old people's church and play all the Gaither songs and all the old ones are going, praise the Lord, that's what we need. <laughs> Try and mix that and bring that together so everybody gets something. It's actually what the church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be an old people's church or a young people's church or a middle-aged people's church. It's supposed to be a church for everyone together. And it says one of the wonderful things about our church, and I've said this, it says where the experience of the older members um, is met with the enthusiasm of the younger ones and I think isn't that fantastic that at times you're sort of like and there are times I see things happen and I'm like I don't know what the older ones are going to think of this and there are other times I'm standing at the back and I'm like I don't know what the younger ones are going to think of this he says you have no idea like he says sometimes I just pretend not to hear but that's I can do that but the truth of it that's the way we are as church and he said, it's that relationship between the young and the old. And we should celebrate that. This is true. This next quote. If you work with young, the young want to go fast, but the old want to go far. And I thought, how true is that? And he says, there's nothing wrong with either. There's nothing wrong with either. We don't want to be doing the stuff the same way we were doing it 50 years ago. He says, but we want to be doing stuff that we're taking people along with us in what we do. He says, that's what church is. So we celebrate that the young want to go fast, but we celebrate also that the old want to go far because we're celebrating those older ones in here, hey, listen, who have been here for 30, 40, 50 years, that have seen it through all the difficult, challenging times, and they've remained faithful. And we celebrate that. We celebrate the younger ones as well who bring a bit of life to the place, a bit of enthusiasm to everything that we do. That's what church is. And he says, we come now to the next need that Paul addresses because he addresses a particular need that's specific to the church in Ephesus. Well, how does the church treat widows? 
Uh, people have argued that these are exact structure to follow or are there principles to be drawn out? How do you care for those in need? Well, this helps us with the church's responsibility towards those in need. Why is our role as a church to help people with those in need? And in dealing with this, Paul deals with three groups here in this chapter. And he's mentioning this and he's simply talking about his concern. Because Paul is telling Timothy that actually the most important thing is that you have a concern for others. Actually that you care about what happens to the person who's next to you. And the proof of that is when we see in the next thing that we see to the widows the concern is their need for support. There are some issues there that need to be dealt with so we've got to be concerned. It says to the leaders which we'll come on to next week is their appointment, their pay and their discipline. That's got to be a good one next week. If you're going to tune in for one, it's got to be next week because this is about the leaders, the pastors. It says, how do we appoint them? What do we pay them? And how do we discipline them? And so, listen, you need to come next week and stuff. And the third one is this. To the slaves, the concern is their quality of service and their witness. Paul is addressing the three groups, but he's saying, this is a concern. This is how we are concerned and care for one another. You see, the foundation of our treatment of others and our care and concern for those in need is written throughout the Bible. God looks out for those in need and defends them. This is not something that has sprung up in the New Testament church. This is something that runs all the way through the Bible. The concern that God has for those that are in need, how he pays attention to them, and what he expects his church to do about them. Some scripture to help us. The Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10, 18 says, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. In Psalm 146 verse 9, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Moving into the New Testament, Galatians 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then James 1 verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. There are 232 verses in the Bible like those four. Because I think God wants to address the role of his church in what we do for those people who are, whether we call it worse off than us, or poor, or needy, or without something, there are 232 Bible verses that are directly like these verses that I've just read about us doing good and helping people. So it's obviously something that needs to be said. Jesus had many examples of caring for the poor and needy. In Acts chapter 6, after the first church is established in Jerusalem, you come to Acts 6 and there's a problem with the food distribution and the apostles say, we don't need to be spending our time doing all this stuff, sorting out who gets bread, who gets butter, who gets eggs, who gets all of this sort of stuff. They said, let's appoint seven men to deal with the distribution of the food to the poor. So even in the early church, that, that thought is there of how we deal with the poor and needy. So the Bible teaches that widows, orphans, foreigners, for want of a better word, are valued for who they are in themselves and are said to deserve special honour, protection and care. Because the church is made up of us all, isn't it? 
She says, that's what it's about. It would be lovely just to have church with all the people that we like to exactly like us. It would be a pretty dull church, but it would be church. She says, actually, church is made up of all of these people. Uh, those who are rich, those who are poor. Those who are not necessarily from here, but from elsewhere. Uh, those people who may not have uh, the, the sort of the education that maybe that, that you have been blessed with or you have been able to, to do, maybe a less education, but all of them get thrown into the pot. And see, Paul here addresses the widows. And even within that group, there were smaller subgroups of widows. In 16 verses, he simply says this. He says, there were widows really in need. There were widows who have family. There were widows who live for pleasure. And there were widows who were young. So it helps us to, as Paul addresses Timothy, and he teaches us a couple of things. You see, we can't help everybody, but we can always help somebody. The church's responsibility is not to help everybody. He says, we must not, and we cannot take the place and fulfill the place of government or social services. He says the priority of the church always is the salvation of souls. But below that, to reach people with that objective, he says it's often uh, a purpose of the church to help people who are in need. And Paul here helps us by giving us a set of principles, almost a system to say, a structure to say, this is the way you need to do what you do. Uh, and so the principles revealed here are extremely relevant because many people look to the local church as a place where the poor and needy should be able to come for help. And we know after money being given out causes more problems actually than solutions. It would be interesting for you to know because we run the Living Hope Charity here alongside the church to help people, we often have to say no more times than we say yes. That might shock you in a sense, well surely you should help everybody. We're not able to help everybody. We don't have, in a sense, anybody who knocks a door and says has a need and we're able to provide that need. He says we simply at times just have to pick and choose or we simply have to say, can we meet this need? Is this the objective of the church? Is this something that we can do in the church? So when people are hungry and need a food parcel, that's something that Reese and Ben do. Sometimes when people are made homeless and they finally get their own place and there's no furniture, said so that's something we can do. He says the baby bank that started recently, when young mothers and young families have kids and they can't provide everything they need for their kids, that's something we can do. To the homeless in Belfast, we made the decision that's not what we can do. That might be all, what do you mean they're homeless? But there are other people doing that. There are other projects that other people do. So what we have to do is assign and say, this is what we do as a church. This is how we meet the poor and needy. So sometimes people will say, Mac, can we not do something here and meet this need? Well, if it doesn't fit in the structure or the system that we have as a church for the living hope, we can't do that. For other things that we can, you may say, oh, we must help everybody. No, no, we can't help everybody. Matter of fact, the priority is the salvation of their souls. So we're hoping maybe through the stuff that we do, maybe they'll come to church. We don't force them to come to church. We don't give them a box of food and say, you can have that if you come to church. That would be unfair. That's wrong because they're hungry and they need food. And once they're not hungry anymore, they hear about the love of God, they realise that God is interested in every aspect of their lives. He says that he uses the church to provide that. This is what Paul is doing with Timothy here. Because in the days of the New Testament, there was no social assistance from the government. So when he says those who are really widows, he fits it with simply there's nobody else to look after them. 
Those are the people we need to look after. Those are the people that fit into the needs that we want to meet. Because he moves on and he says, what about the family? And he simply says, he says, listen, if they've got family, they're the ones that need to be taking care of the widows. You see, if you live in that culture, and we do very differently here, you know, that, that actually the, the, the idea in that culture and as you move out maybe into, that, that as you go further along into Africa and India, and remember my friend from college telling me about this, he said, there's a time in life when the parents look after the kids. But there comes another time in life where the kids look after the parents. Some of you kids are like, what do you mean? Let me explain what I mean. It says, let me explain what I mean. This is what happens. It's a responsibility of the family to do it. Most of our lives are like this. You know, before you get married, you've got a bit of money. You get married, you've got no money. It says, but after you get married, though, you get a bit of money together, but then you have kids. They grow up. You definitely don't have any money. It says, when your kids leave home before they get married, you suddenly realise that you've got a bit of money together and suddenly they want to get married, so that's the money gone again. He says, once they get married, start to get a bit of money together, then suddenly, he says, they have grandkids and suddenly you've got no money. And then what happens then is you retire and just before you retire, he says, you get a bit of money together and that's your money then. But what you realise at the end is you're leaving it to your kids anyway. We have got it so wrong. I need to, we need to read the Bible. Because the Bible says here, I'm pretty sure with my interpretation, is kids look after your parents. I, as a matter of fact, I'm starting now with my two. I've just decided. That's it. No more. It says my money is my money. You're not getting it. Is that okay? You want to get married? Get married on the same day. It says... <laughs> I could do the service free. Reese will sing free. We could do the reception in the youth hall. So we're sorted. But that's the idea here. But actually, though that is humorous, the point is this that Paul is trying to make. The responsibility is not the church if the family's there. The family, look after your family. He's turning around and he moves on a little bit more then because it's not just those that, that in a sense, are, are, are widows and stuff. He gives a challenge to those that are working as well. Because God's normal way of providing for the needy it's not through the church, but through somebody's own hard work. There was a responsibility, it says, to the men of the family to go and get a job to provide for your family. Not to earn the money for you and then spend it on what you want. It says, actually, your responsibility spiritually is to provide for your family. So it's not just the widows here. Paul's getting at the men. It says in 1997, he says, I graduated from Bible college I felt the call of God upon my life. And a degree in biblical theology with honours. That's how hard I worked. And it says a diploma in Christian ministry. I felt the light open up from the cloud and the calling of God fall upon my life. And I got married and God called me to be a potato grader. Now a potato grader does this. He says he watches a conveyor belt of potatoes. And he takes out the knobbly ones. That's what a potato grader does. He says, potatoes come past all day, potatoes come past. You keep the good ones, the knobbly ones get thrown out for something else. All day he was just looking at potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. 
And I thought to myself, I thought, this is desperate. Like I said, I've just graduated from Bible college. I've just got married. All I can see is potatoes, eight hours a day. I would go home for dinner. I'd say to Athena, what's for dinner? She would say potatoes. I was like, no! <laughs> potatoes, potatoes. But I learned a valuable lesson there. I had just got married. The calling was not to the ministry that God had called me to. The calling was to provide for my family. I'd got married at the responsibility of a wife. And then kids as they came along. And often in church we spiritualise everything. He says, listen, God simply says, he says, we provide for our own. That's what we're supposed to do first. If we can do it, then we're supposed to do it. And he says, though the calling would come later... He says the responsibility at the beginning while Athena was at Bible college and we had got married was I was looking at potatoes all day because it paid me amount of money plus as many potatoes as I could eat which was not a good thing like that and that's it but a provision by the family for the family. Let's not get this wrong in Christian circles. Let's not get this wrong by thinking it's the church's responsibility. No, it's not. It's the family's responsibility. The church can step in if it needs to. If it can help when nobody else can help, then we will help. And we're there. And it stands to reason that simply that a person cannot claim to be committed to following Christ when they choose not to care for their own families. Because, oh, the overview of all of this is this thought. If your Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work at all. What a challenging quote there. If it doesn't work at home, it doesn't work at all. How does it work? Provide for my family. How does it work? And care for those that I've been entrusted with. She says, that's a real challenge at times, isn't it? Because there are many different, different and difficult circumstances. But Paul's writing to Timothy, and really, in the overview of this widows, he's separating them. He's saying, address those who are really in need. If they've got families, well, they can look after them. They've got children, but they can look after them. If they're running around everywhere, you know, visiting people and gossiping and doing all of that, it says, well, they've got time to get a job and provide for their needs. If the man, in a sense, can do and work and that, he says, well, he needs to go and do it because that's his first point of saying, I'm a believer in Christ. That's what everybody sees. Not a way doing all the other stuff that needs to be done, but one that simply says, providing for my family. And that's what Paul is saying here to Timothy, to address the issues that are here in the church. He says, what a challenge it is for us. But we have to do that. Because church resources are limited. Money, materials, manpower, they're not infinite in the church. I would love to meet every need in the church. I would love it that everybody came with a need and I'd say, we're able to do that. We're just not able to do that. So we have to address those things that we can do. But at times say to people, listen... This is available to you. This can be helped. You can do this because your family. And the church here, as it sets itself in place, being a wonderful place of care and concern. says a mission statement of our church for many years, and it still is. The church that cares. It really is. When, when there's a need, people respond to the need. It says when people need help, people offer to help. When there's something that needs prayed for, you can see people rising up in prayer and praying for the needs of one another. This is what church does. It says, and so this morning we've just tried to be a bit more specific and structured in how we do the stuff that we do. That you can't meet every need, but there are some needs we're supposed to meet. 
We don't sit and say, well, we're not doing anything. If we can help somebody, we will help somebody. Paul says to Timothy this, he said, there's a responsibility both to the families, both to the individuals, both to those that are head of the house, both to those who provide, both to those who are show of concern. That's a challenge of this passage here. My time is up. I'm just going to pray and then the team are going to come and lead us in a final uh, song this morning. He says, don't forget the end of the service. We are opening both doors up and you can go out either door. We have a dedication today at 12.30. It's a busy day uh, today, but it's not for a good while yet and stuff. But I get the challenge of the word today, what Paul is saying to Timothy. We're concerned for one another. Let that concern be evidence of Jesus Christ working in our lives and God working in our church. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you today. Father, you are the God who cares. As we've said many times, you're interested in every aspect of our lives. Father, the challenge of your word today, as Paul writes to Timothy, is that we are concerned for each other. And I thank you that we are in a church where we see that as evidence in so many circumstances and situations that people rise up to meet needs, people rise up to pray for things, that people rise up and share their concern, Father God. Father, we just thank you for that today, that that is a picture of the community that you are creating within church, that we love each other and care for each other and honour each other and help each other. And Father, we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.